0: episode number 60 of the Healthier Life Through Menopause podcast. Hi and welcome back to the podcast. You might have noticed that we've had quite a break over the summer. There has been quite a lot going on in my family with A-level and GCSE results coming out. Our eldest daughter has just embarked upon her gap year before heading off to uni. And I've also been spending some time looking after my mum, who is recovering really well after a hip replacement surgery. And she's really eager to get back on the tennis courts as soon as possible. We also had a really soggy family camping holiday in Cornwall at the start of the summer where we discovered that our large 10 man tent that we'd got secondhand during lockdown actually leaks. Yep, there was one particularly miserable night during a storm where we had to vacate the whole of one side of the tent and two of our kids ended up sleeping in the car for the rest of the week. Needless to say, I didn't feel particularly rested when we returned home from that holiday. But there have been some good points too. One highlight of the summer for me was a brilliant 15-mile trail run that I did with some members of my running club along the coast by Southampton, and that was back in August. It was such a beautiful day and the scenery was amazing. The run was called the Big Pilgrimage Run because we passed by lots of historic sites, where we collected stickers for our bibs, starting in Mayflower Park, which is named after the historic sailing from Southampton to America by the Pilgrim Fathers back in 1620. And it ended at Titchfield Abbey, which dates back to 1232. And then to top it off at the halfway point, there was a little pink ferry to carry us all across the river to the other side, which I've never had in a race before. So that was really fun. Anyway, I finished the race with a massive smile on my face and have since signed up to do another race with the same company this coming Sunday, which I'm actually quite nervous about because it's quite a bit longer and I will let you know how that goes. Another thing that's been going on over the summer is the Healthier Life Club. This is an online membership club for women going through menopause and beyond. And we have bi-monthly group coaching sessions and weekly content, including health tips, information about healthy foods, recipes, and weekly challenges. The Healthier Life Club takes place on its own health portal, which you can access online or via an app. So there's absolutely no need to be on social media. And once you join, you also get access to a food and mood journal on the app. So if you haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? It is only £9.99 per month for access to all of that content, the group coaching, support and accountability to help you reach your health and wellness goals and all in a fun and judgment-free environment with me and other like-minded women. So to find out more and get the link to join, head to katharineshelton.com forward slash club. That's katharineshelton.com forward slash club. And we can't wait to see you there. Today's episode is an interview with Elizabeth Sherman and it's on the topic of how as menopausal women we've been socialised from an early age to have a distorted relationship with food and with our bodies. Elizabeth talks about how that affects us as we age and some of the things that we can do to turn that around. She then shares her eight basic habits that healthy people do And introduces me to two terms that I had never heard before. One is an almond mum and the other is revenge bedtime procrastination. To find out what those two actually are then listen in to the episode. But first let me introduce you to Elizabeth. Elizabeth Sherman is a master certified health and life coach who helps women in perimenopause and menopause manage their symptoms, as well as all of the other stressful demands that seem to accompany this season of life, which includes the physical changes that menopause and ageing produce, the emotional demands that accompany our life changes and family structures, the physiological changes of how our body responds to external stimulus and how we respond to those changes, and the mental load that we carry as we change our identity and how we see ourselves in the world. Elizabeth hosts a weekly podcast called Done With Dieting, a podcast for the woman who, in spite of all these demands on her, has been socialised to focus on her appearance, selflessly do for others, and in doing so, becomes the best supporting actress in the movie of her own life. Elizabeth is a Chicago native, but now conducts her coaching business as an expat in Mexico, and she meets with her clients through video, focusing on the areas of health, eating, moving, stress, and sleep management, body image, and how we think about that through a feminist lens. Okay, so before we start, just a quick disclaimer as always. The information presented on this podcast is for educational and inspirational purposes only. Always consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that said, let's dive into today's show. Hi, and welcome to the Healthier Life Through Menopause podcast, a show where we talk all things perimenopause so that you can be informed and empowered with great tips and strategies to help you live a healthier life through menopause and beyond. Whether or not you choose to take HRT, I believe there's so much more we can do to support our health and well being through our diet and lifestyle. And that it's when we're intentional about our health that we can find the energy, balance, and joy that we need in order to flourish in a life we love. If you're looking to find ways to navigate your way through perimenopause with calmness and confidence, then you're in the right place. I'm Catherine Shelton. Let's get started. So, Elizabeth Sherman, welcome to the Healthier Life Through Menopause podcast.
1: I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I think the topic that we're going to be talking about today is so exciting. And I hope that everyone just gets a lot out of it. So
0: yeah, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. But before we dive in, can you just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're from?
1: Yeah, so I am Elizabeth Sherman. And from your my accent, you can probably tell that I am from the United States. However, I do live in Mexico. My husband and I moved here six years ago. So I've been living um, and working remotely with my clients ever since then. Um, The women that I work with and help, I call myself a life and health coach for women in midlife. And what I found is that women in midlife are at just this intersection of so many changes. I mean, sure, we have menopause and perimenopause. So we have the hormones that are most evident for most people. But then we also have these other parts of our lives that are changing naturally as well. One thing is that our kids are growing up. And so they're, we're becoming empty nesters. Uh, or, and so that then changes our primary relationship our parents are getting older, they're starting to need our help more. So it changes our family dynamic. But then also, there's this, there's this aging component too, where we're suddenly bombarded with all of this anti aging stuff and age gracefully. And all of these messages from society that we're becoming irrelevant. And the women that I know, at least when I moved into 50, I was just like, oh my gosh, no one told me that it was going to be this amazing because you're no longer inhibited by other people's expectations and judgments. And you're just like, this is so much more freeing. And so really helping women through that career, career transition and moving into what does health look like at this stage of life, and where do you want your life to go when we get into retirement? So how do we set you up for success now so that you can move into that next phase of life Mm -hmm. and retire and have the dream life and dreams that you want? Yeah. 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 I'm so
0: glad that you said moving into 50 was amazing because <laughs> mm-hmm. for so many people like hitting that milestone is something that they're really frightened of and they feel like, you know, right. That's it. Life is over. I'm just going to get old now. And, but you know, there's yeah, definitely some story going on in the background there that we can turn around and we can, we can change that narrative that women are, are thinking about what it's like to be over 50. So absolutely yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say more yeah. about
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just started reading this book and it's called This Chair Rocks. And I can't remember who the author is, but she, in the very introduction, talks about something called the U-curve of happiness. And what they found in research is that people are happiest at the bookends of their life. And I think one of the reasons that so many women fear turning 50 is because when you look at the trajectory of this U curve of happiness, 50, 40, 50 is actually when we're the least happy. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is that in our life, we're getting increasingly unhappier or decreasingly happier. And so with that trajectory, it's natural to think that, well, the rest of life is downhill. But what happens then is that we have fewer responsibilities. We're no longer cut caught into that sandwich of people's expectations and society's expectations. And we allow ourselves then to become freer once we turn 50, 60, and then obviously 70, 80, and 90. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting time of life. So before Mm -hmm. we dive in to talk about this a little bit more, do you have your own personal story of how you kind of got to being a life and health coach? How, how we, Oh, springboarded into that kind of feel. Yeah.
1: Um, so this all started when I was, Oh, 33 ish, I think. Yeah. So, um, my mom passed away from breast cancer when I was 33 and In watching her go through treatment and just struggle with the disease, it really impacted me from a standpoint of how do I not get this thing? And so I remember after she passed away, sitting in my office and Googling, how do I not get breast cancer? And at the time, so, you know, being in my 30s, And also I was in high tech at the time Um, I did a lot of traveling, which usually meant, you know, eating out in restaurants. I wasn't very healthy. Um, And, you know, I had done some diets and things like that. And so anyway, I was Googling, how do I not get breast cancer? And I found out that being overweight was a huge contraindicator to getting breast cancer, as well as a whole host of other diseases which I had absolutely no idea. Like it was a shock to me. I was like, you mean that my lifestyle actually impacts whether mm-hmm. I live, how like how I live my life or how long I live my life. And so that was really the, the start of my journey. And I would love to tell everyone right now that once I learned that, that I just got everything into shape. I started exercising. I started eating right. But I didn't. I tried finding the magic pill probably for about 15 years after that. Like I did all of the, the food hacks. Like I used to eat black bean. I used to make black bean brownies. So black bean brownies are brownies that you make that don't have flour in them. They use black beans as the base. They're actually really bad, but I was like, okay, they're healthy. And then I would continue to eat like half the pan, right? And so it wasn't until I was in my late forties that I actually, and so actually, hang on, let me back up for a second. So um, when I was in my thirties, like 35, 36, 37, I went to a, a therapist probably more as a life coach than for therapy, because I just kind of felt stuck. I was in high tech at the time. And she was like, you know, I think that you would be a really good wellness coach. And I was like, huh, I could do that. And so I got my personal training certificate together. I got my nutrition certificate together. And at that time, then my company, the high tech company that I was currently working for, um, they laid everyone off. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, I guess that's a message from the universe that I'm going to start doing this, but this was back in 2005. And so no one knew what a wellness coach was. And I had no idea how to market myself. I knew that, you know, everyone knew nutrition or what a nutritionist did. Everyone knows what a personal trainer does, but I really had no idea how I could market myself to people about coaching. And so at the time I kind of resigned myself to quote unquote, just be a personal trainer all the while being really frustrated that I could help people so much more, but not really knowing how to tell them that. And that being said, it was always frustrating for me that I would help my clients get really good results through exercise, through nutrition, and then something would happen in their lives that would pull the rug right from, out from underneath them. And that something was like an illness or like their job would get busy or it would be the holidays or their kid would get in trouble or you know whatever. And as a quote unquote personal trainer, I didn't feel qualified to coach my clients on those issues. And I would tell people that I help you in the areas of eating, physical activity, sleep management and stress management. But all of the advice that we give people about stress management is really all about their, their Band-Aid approaches. It's go get a massage, go to, go get a manicure, go to take a spa day. It's escaping your life. But when they go back into their life, they're still going to be stressed again. So it wasn't until I found life coaching that I was like, aha, I get it. Like I teach proactive approaches in terms of eating and in terms of exercise and sleep management. Now, through the tools that I teach my clients today, I teach them proactive approaches to stress. So how we think about our problems is what will help us to manage our problems. Because when we think about health, when we think about diets and exercise and all of our self-care habits, we think we beat ourselves up because we're like, I know what to do, but I'm just not doing it. The reason that we don't do it is because of the other stuff that's in our life, that our other problems are getting in the way of our time management or feeling overwhelmed. And we're like, the last thing I want to do right now is Meal plan or prep or exercise. I just want to sit on the couch and veg out for a minute. And so, how do we manage our stress? How do we manage our problems so that we can then take care of ourselves? So, that's kind of the springboard into what happened with me and how I work with my clients today. Mm,
0: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for telling us that story. That was really interesting.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So, let's move into the topic today. So we're talking about how women are socialized to have this distorted relationship with food and their bodies, and then how that kind of impacts our health as we get older. So just tell us a little bit about what you mean by that to begin with. So what does it mean to be socialized to have a distorted uh, relationship with food and your body?
1: Yeah. So one of the other certifications that I have is an advanced certification in feminist coaching. And in that Well, we all know about diet culture, right? And so I really was able to dive into it within that certification. And so let's back up a little bit and start with present day. What happens with a lot of women, especially when we're talking about perimenopause, menopause is, yes, we have hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, lethargy, insomnia, things like that. But... I feel like one of the things that women zero in on is that midlife weight gain. And what happens is we do diets that we used to do as younger women. Our bodies are significantly different today than they were when we were 20 years old. So therefore the techniques that we use today don't work anymore. When we were younger, we did diets that were solely based on eating less and moving more calorie balance. Now let me interrupt myself for a second and tell you that all of the, I don't want to say all much of the information that we have about weight loss today is based on research from many, many decades done on college aged men. And so College-age men don't have midlife women's hormones. And so what happens for women in midlife is they're doing these same diets that they used to do when they were in their 20s, 30s, and they don't work anymore because as we move into midlife and into menopause, perimenopause, that we become more reactive to stress and we become more um, sensitive to insulin. And so gone are the days where we can overeat cake or chips or cookies or anything and then work it off because it just creates this hormonal uh, yuck in our body. Our body doesn't know how to deal with it. So that being said, as younger women, we really didn't create a healthy relationship with food because of diet culture. So as younger women, we were never taught how to properly care for our bodies. We were just told eat less, exercise more. And we weren't really taught about I mean, yeah, we all know that we should be eating more vegetables. We know that we should be drinking water. We know that we should be doing those things, but it feels like such a an old person's responsibility, doesn't it? Yeah, the kind of thing and your so grandpa I think, would tell you to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I think that there's a resistance to that as we move into menopause because we're like, well, I'm not old. And yeah, but you need to take care of your body now. And And we also,
0: we weren't taught about menopause and, you know, we were taught about puberty at school, but no one ever taught us about menopause and what would happen when we, you know, got into our forties and fifties. So that's for many women, that's just, yeah, not expecting that at all.
1: Well, and here's another patriarchal thing from the medical society is that women's bodies were explicitly excluded from um, research until the 1950s. So a lot of things we, this, this is all very new to us. Like we've only been researching women's bodies as a whole, let alone menopause for the past 70 years. Yeah. And so, yeah, like there are so many things that are patriarchal in <laughs> <the> medicine <laughs> practice and health yeah. and fitness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think, thankfully, things are beginning to change, aren't they? I feel like the tide is beginning to turn. For sure, the, yeah, um, yeah. Being able to access more information, being able to stand up for themselves better in their doctor's practice, and um, you know, celebrities are coming out with with a voice, you know, to stand up for menopause women, and um, yeah, make our voice yeah. heard in society. So that's really exciting to
1: see that change happen. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So did I answer your question? Was there more there that I yeah so so what does it mean
0: then so you, you you talked about having this disordered relationship with food in that mm. just focusing on the calories in calories out yeah um so how does that change as we get get older because obviously as you were saying it doesn't work for us anymore when we hit our 40s and 50s suddenly that you know eat less and exercise more it just doesn't work yeah um and so how does that mentality that we had how
1: does that need to shift Yeah. Good question. So, so many women because of, okay. So as young women, we are taught that our main goal in life is to be attractive. And that if we are attractive, we will secure a suitable mate. And attractive Equals thin as we're younger. And so we do anything that we can to be thin. So all we're looking at is calories in versus calories out. And what tends to happen then is that we have this whole list of good foods and bad foods. And what's crazy about that is that we didn't even decide what the good foods and bad foods are good foods and bad foods were imprinted on us or told to us by Weight Watchers, by Slimming World, by Jenny Craig, by this personal trainer, by two people that we overheard on a plane talking about a diet that you can't eat potatoes. So suddenly now potatoes are bad. And so we get all of this information from the people around us about good foods and bad foods. And so then we become fearful of eating that food. And if I want a cookie, and I'll, I'll bet that everyone listening today wants to be able to eat a cookie and not feel guilt, right? Yet, when we do eat the cookie, so mentally, we know, rationally, we know that someone, regardless of their size, should be able to eat a cookie. And not feel guilty about it yet. Somehow when we eat a cookie, we feel such overwhelming guilt. And as we're eating it, our brain is telling us you shouldn't be eating this. It's not okay. If you eat it, you're going to get fat. Um, It's not healthy. You don't deserve it. All of this other stuff. So something that we're eating to provide pleasure, then all of a sudden doesn't seek or have pleasure, provide pleasure anymore because our brain is ruining the experience. And so then we eat another one and our brain does the same thing again. And the entire time that we're eating these pleasurable foods, our brain is completely ruining the experience because it's telling us that we shouldn't be doing it. And so that is the disordered relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And it's everywhere. I was out to dinner with some friends not too long ago and we were at a burger joint and someone came by and was like, "Oh, that food, that's unhealthy food, you know, that those french fries aren't good for you." I'm like, stop it. We have to stop commenting on other people's food, on other people's weight, but diet culture is really prevalent. Mm -hmm. And having this good foods and bad foods list isn't helpful. And so, one of the things that I try to do is I try to deconstruct that with my clients and allow them to have some sugar in their diet, to have some fried foods, whatever they think of as treats so that we can have a healthier relationship with food. Now, in parallel with that, some people say, because with my clients, I tell them, I'm never gonna tell you that you cannot eat something. Okay, so if you wanna eat brownies, great, eat brownies, I'm not gonna tell you. Now, here's the thing though, we wanna start cultivating a better relationship with our bodies so that we can understand how food makes us feel. And so that's actually the tool that I use in order to help us to reduce the number of treats that we have. Because when I tell people that there's no good food or bad food, that broccoli is the same as brownies, they're like, well, if that's the case, Elizabeth, I'm going to eat brownies all day. Like, no, you're not. If you're really paying attention to how brownies make you feel, you're not going to eat them all day because you know that after X number of brownies, you're not going to feel good anymore. And so really allowing your body to dictate how you want to eat in the future. So that keeping in mind that we always want to feel our best. And so when I have my, I talk a lot about what's called the future self. And so when I have my future selves back, I always want to set her up for success. And I do that by giving her good food, by getting enough sleep. By exercising so that she doesn't have to manage the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do all of these things for my future self. And so what it ends up being is a better relationship with my body, a better relationship with myself and a better relationship with food and exercise. Because I mentioned earlier that exercise, well, I mentioned earlier that as women move into midlife, that we become more Uh, sensitive to stress and exercise is a stressor. And so we need to look at exercise as a stress. I mean, I should say, let me clarify that exercise is a stressor if we're doing too much of it. So like when I was in my journey, I would go out and run for an hour, for example, and that was just too much for my body. And so what I teach now is shorter, more intense, uh, workouts, but that being said, everyone has to figure out what the right set of exercise habits is right for them. Um, exercise is a stress while we're doing it, but how it makes you feel is the stress reducer. So really taking exercise away from being the calories in versus calories out approach and Looking at exercise as a way that we manage our stress, as a way that we take care of our body. Mm. So, what okay, I'm so hearing... I know I said a lot there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So, what I'm hearing from you is that in both food and also exercise, it's all about really tuning into what is best for your body. So, in terms of like the eating, you know, yes, you don't want to be kind of constantly thinking that food is bad and shouldn't be having it. But on the other hand, you also don't want to give yourself free license to just eat everything in sight. You know, you do need to be thinking, don't you, that you want to be feeding and nourishing your body in the best way possible because you know you want to look after it and you want to be good to it so so it's it's that kind of mindset shift isn't it do do you find when you work with clients that there's a stage where as they come out of this kind of diet mentality of calories in calories out before they get to that stage of really wanting to nourish their bodies is there a little bit in the middle where they're just kind of let loose and feel like they're just eating all these things that they would never allow themselves to eat before
1: Not generally, not generally. However, I think that, and so like when people go through my program, my goal is, so my podcast is called done with dieting. And my goal is always that I need to teach you how to maintain your weight as well as I don't want to say lose weight, but I tell my clients that their body will right size. And so there's always going to be some experimentation. Sure. Like that's normal for our human brains to be like, "Oh, I lost weight this week and I wasn't even really trying. Let's see what happens if I, you know, add a few more treats to my diet this week." I mean, that's totally normal. But um yeah, and so I I think to answer your question there, yes, but it doesn't really get out of hand because what tends to happen is our inner critic on the other side of that comes out. And so I really try to have them um, be more compassionate with themselves, be more kind to themselves because we're socialized to be good girls, right? Young girls were told to be good girls. And yet we never like move out of that. And so as we become women, we're these good women. And what good means is that we have to, Play the role of the good daughter, the good mother, the good employee, the good uh, friend, the good sister. And if we don't do these things, then we're not going to be good anymore. And so, but rarely are we ever kind to ourselves. We're good to everyone else, and inside we're resentful and seething. Um, And so, really being able to be kind to ourselves first before we can be kind to others. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So do you find yourself doing a lot of kind of deep mindset work with your clients to help them to shift into this yeah, thinking?
1: Absolutely. Because this stuff really runs deep. Um, You know, we don't really think about how we think about food or we have so much self-doubt, but we don't really know where that's coming from. And like, for example, you know, I have to show up on social media a lot. I'm doing a photo shoot this weekend. And I'm a little worried about that, like putting those photos out. I have a podcast. and When I started my podcast, I was like, who am I to talk about this stuff? And these are things that women constantly struggle with because we're told to be quiet and be nice and not assert ourselves that we should take what's given to us and be happy with that. And that's one thing that's really cool about turning 50 is that so many women are like, no, I'm not waiting for other people. I've been waiting for other people to give me what I deserve. And it's never happened. So I'm going out and taking what I want. And so really unlearning, like who decided that that was what being a good woman means. So like whenever I have this judgment in my head about what I should or shouldn't do. So whenever I hear the word should, it's always like this little red flag, right? (laughs) And so when I hear should or shouldn't, I've started asking myself, well, who decided that? And it's really been enlightening because like I was watching these kids play in uh, the airport. And I was like, those kids shouldn't be like roughhousing like that. They should be quiet. And I was like, wait a minute, who decided that? Like, Mm -hmm. They're just they're not harming anyone. Um, and it's just so funny how we do that, not only with other people, but then we also do it with ourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, so I actually have three daughters. I have um, an 18 year old, a 16 year old and a, a nine year old. I also have a son. But I'm um, just thinking about those of us who maybe have daughters and thinking of like the next generation that's coming up. How could we be reframing things for them so that they don't have this same kind of mindset around their bodies, this distorted image of themselves as they, as they grow older?
1: Yeah. So I just recorded a podcast. It's coming out soon called, Are You an Almond Mom?
0: (laughs) Oh, what's that? (laughs)
1: It's, it's a throwback to like a 10 year old. Are you familiar with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Yes. Yes. Okay. I never watched the show, but I've never seen it myself,
0: but I'm familiar with
1: it. (laughs) Okay. So apparently on an old episode, um, Gigi Hadid, who's like a celebrity, I don't know. Yeah. So out of pop culture, you know, when I was younger, (laughs) I was like, oh, pop culture is everything. And like old people, they don't know anything. That's, that's so boring. But now that I'm older, I couldn't care (laughs) less. Anyway, (laughs) um, Gigi Hadid apparently calls her mom on the phone and says, Hey, I'm feeling really weak. All I've eaten was an almond today. And her mom says, well, you should have some more almonds, just chew them really well. And so it's this idea that so many women in midlife have, are entrenched in body image and diet culture, and they really want to do well for their daughters, but it's just not helpful. And so the best way to not be an almond mom is to work on your own relationship about fat phobia. Like, what does it mean to be fat? Why is that not okay? Um, What are good foods and bad foods? Where did you learn about good foods and bad foods? Where did you learn the information that you learned about dieting? And why you should follow a certain diet, you know, and the same thing goes for exercise. There are lots of women out there who have a bad relationship with exercise because they always used it as punishment to work off, you know, overeating, which wouldn't have happened if we didn't have these rules about food in the first place. So yeah, the best way to help your daughters is to help yourself which is really sad that I have to say that Um, because you should want for yourself what you want for your daughters, your mothers, your sisters, your best friend. Um, But yet somehow we don't think that we're worth it. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so
1: true.
0: So Elizabeth, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners on this topic that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Um, oh, I I could probably talk all day about these topics. But that being said, um, you know, I do have a a guide and checklist that I think is a really good starter point for how to improve your relationship with food, um, and exercise and your body and it's called the 8 basic habits that healthy people do. We can go over it if you want to. Um, and it's What I find is that many people can't sustain diets because they don't have the basics in place. And I think that if you follow these eight basic habits, they're not revolutionary. When I say them, you're going to be like, I know all that. (laughs) But um, if you have these eight basics in place, you probably don't need to go on a diet. Could you
0: share with us two or three of you? I
1: would, I would be happy to. Um, And I do have a podcast on it. It's episode number three called The Foundation. And you can, on that podcast uh, show notes, you can find the opt-in where you can actually get a printed copy. Um, So the first one is drink water, okay? Mm -hmm. We all know drink water. Now, one of the questions is, how much water should I be drinking? And the answer to that is, you want to allow your body to tell you. Um, And what I mean by that is look at your urine color. If it's pale yellow at the end of the day, you're probably drinking enough water. We don't wanna go by um, number of ounces, or there is always that myth about eight ounces, eight times a day. And that just doesn't make any sense to me because like should a 150 pound woman be drinking the same amount of water as a 250 pound man. Yeah. So, and you'll notice that in winter and in summer your water will increase or decrease. So that's that. Um, Number two is eat vegetables, okay? And I love these first two habits because they work on the idea of what I call displacement which is a lot about what I do with coaching is we add things to your diet, add things to your day in order to crowd out the things that you don't want to be doing. So we focus on adding versus subtracting, okay? Um, Vegetables are great because they're heavy. They've got a lot of water content. They have fiber, which is good for your body and reducing estrogen in your body. So vegetables are fantastic. Number three is eat protein. One thing that I find with a lot of women is that we're protein avoidant. I don't know why, but yeah, eat protein. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Number four is move daily. You do not have to go to a gym. If you don't like gyms, don't go to a gym, but you can walk, you can do group X group exercise outside in the park. You can ride your bicycle. I don't care, but do something physical because what it tends to happen for a lot of us is that we don't. And then at the end of the day, we're tired, but we're still wired. Our body has all of this extra energy in it, but our brains are just exhausted. And so we have a hard time falling asleep. So we really want to tire out your body so that you can help yourself sleep, which is always a concern for many women in midlife. Um, Exercise is also going to help reduce hot flashes and night sweats, if those are some of your concerns. Um, Habit number five is get enough sleep. Now, I know what that sounds like because a lot of women in midlife are like, but I'm trying to get... Sleep, Elizabeth, but my menopause won't let me. So, the more that you can do to really create a sleep ritual, um, I also find that diet will impact your sleep quality. Um, and what else do I have to say about that? I think that's about it. Right. Okay. Uh, that was five. Number six is manage your stress. Mm-hmm. Now I know that that's a little elusive. Okay. Oh, let me go back to sleep for just one second. Everyone, the number of hours of sleep is different for everybody. So you really just want to be careful with that. And I also want to add in here something called revenge bedtime procrastination. Are you familiar with Ooh,
0: that? No, tell me what that means.
1: <laughs> that is the phenomenon that I find many of my clients in where everyone has been picking at them all day long and they stay up way past their bedtime just to get some quiet time. So
0: that was me when my kids were very little.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a word for it.
0: I can just have some me time. And then you end up sort of binge watching TV shows and suddenly it's 11 o'clock and then you think that's okay. I can go to bed, but then your child wakes up at five and suddenly, yeah, you've not had enough sleep. So
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now we have a name for it. It's called revenge, bedtime, procrastination. That's good to know. <laughs> I know. I know. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we try to do is just work in more self-care habits so that that doesn't happen as much and make it more intentional, I guess. Okay. So now number six, uh, is manage your stress. And so again, I know that this is a little elusive, but figuring out What is self-care for you? So going back to revenge, bedtime, procrastination, like how can you take care of yourself so that you don't get your needs met through destructive purposes? And I think that that's one thing that I also talk a lot about with my clients in terms of overeating or emotional eating is figuring out how can I bring more joy into my life so that food isn't the only thing that's bringing me joy. And so what are all of the other things that you can do to take care of yourself? And one of the ways that I like to do that is just be reflective. So instead of beating yourself up for eating ice cream last night, ask yourself the next day, gee, what was it that I was really looking for instead of ice cream? Was it connection Was it that I should have probably just gone to bed? Like, what was it that I was really looking for? So really being able to combat those bad habits through instead of judging ourselves, but getting curious with ourselves about it. And I have tons of different tools to help us with stress management as well. Um, Number seven is eat just enough, but not too much. Now this habit took me about 18 months before I felt comfortable doing it. I grew up in a family where I was asked, are you full at the end of meals? And so I thought that I had to eat to fullness, but when I started paying attention to it, the difference between satisfaction and fullness, like I could pack away probably a thousand calories. Mm -hmm. And so, Really paying attention to our bodies and eating just enough. It's going to be really uncomfortable if you're someone, and I say uncomfortable, unfamiliar for someone who's used to eating to fullness because fullness feels so familiar. But what will happen is over time when you practice eating to satisfaction as opposed to fullness or over fullness, is that I would love to tell you today that I never overeat. I do, but here's the thing. I don't overeat to the extent that I used to, and it's a lot less frequent. So um, just try to eat less and I never want my clients to be hungry. So it's not about hunger. It's about being satisfied so that you can make it to your next meal. Um, And then the last one, is about treats, so uh, limiting your treats. So those are your eight basic habits. So you'd still call them treats. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because they are. We yeah. know what we know that we shouldn't be eating cookies for lunch or dinner, right? Um, but that being said, they fit into your life, mm-hmm. and no one. I don't. I haven't met anyone who said, I never want to eat birthday cake again. When my kid comes home and says, Hey mom, I made this brownie or this cupcake for you or grandma, whatever you want to be able to share in that with them. We just don't want to beat ourselves up on the other side of eating it. And so we need to create, I don't want to say rules or guidelines, but we need to allow ourselves to create the situations where eating treats is okay. Mm-hmm. And when I follow those guidelines, then I don't allow myself to allow the inner critic to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the rule that's, I have. That's the key. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. They were really, really interesting steps, all eight of them. So um, I'll be sure to put those in the show notes in case people yeah. miss those and also to link to uh, your resource that you have for people. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's one thing that you'd like the listeners to take away from today's episode, what would it be in terms of the whole issue around kind of disordered mm. image and you know that affecting us as we get older?
1: Yeah, I think that the the biggest takeaway that i want listeners to walk away with is that these rules that we have about food that we have about ourselves that we have about like all of these judgments about our bodies that they were not there when we were born you were not born with good a good foods list and a bad foods list you were not born hating yourself for eating ice cream. You were not born hating your body or judging your body. Those were all learned. They were learned by people who also had these same thoughts. And so the good news there is that if they're learned, that means that we can also unlearn them. And you just have to be aware. One of my biggest tools that I use with my clients is awareness. And I know that a lot of people are like awareness, ah, Elizabeth, I don't want to be aware. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I get it. But like when it comes to the eight basic habits, my clients come to me all the time and they're like, I love vegetables. And then when we say, okay, great. How many are you eating? They're like, oh, I didn't realize that I was really only eating one vegetable a day. And so through awareness, we can actually do better and we all want to do better. We all want to grow and thrive and do better for our kids. So that's it.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you so much. So where can our listeners find you online if they want to find out more about you and the things that you do?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on my website. My website is elizabethsherman.com. My podcast is called done with dieting. You can find it pretty much anywhere that there's podcasts. Um, and on social media, you can find me on Instagram at done with dieting podcast and on Facebook, you can find me at total health by Elizabeth.
0: Great. I will put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so Uh much, Elizabeth, for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Hey, quickly, before you go, if this podcast has helped and inspired you in some way, then please jump over to your podcast provider and leave me an honest review. That way, more people can find this show and be inspired too. I personally read every single review and your feedback is so encouraging to me. The second way you can help get the word out is to take a quick screenshot of this episode or of your review and share it in your Instagram stories tag me at Catherine Shelton Coaching and I'll share it right back. Thank you so much. Until next time.